Uh, The reading tonight is taken from Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 to 21. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, welcome to the last in our series in the book of Revelation. We've made it to the end, at the end of this great book. And to the end of the whole Bible, if you don't count the table of weights and measures, which no one does. And it's our practice here in Chalmers to work our way through books of the Bible. We start at chapter 1, verse 1. We did that, I think it was about sort of June or July time, so it's been a long time, and work our way all the way through to the end. But it may be that you're coming as a, as a guest tonight or visiting, or you're watching online, and, and you've never heard of Revelation before, you've never read any of it before, and you haven't seen any of the previous sermons. Feel free to look back on the website, you can catch up with previous ones. But this is probably quite a good chapter for you to look at, because at the end of this book, it pulls together most of the major themes of the book into one place. It's going to be helpful to have it in front of you. There'll be lots of verses that we look at and try and explain. And you can either do it on the handout or in a Bible. And feel free to do it on your phone if you've got access to a Bible on your phone. Now, the handout has uh, four great themes of the book of Revelation and this final chapter in particular, and we'll go through them. We have before us the last infallible word of God to humanity. 
the last word that the Spirit of God says to his church. Let me pray as we listen to his voice. Lord God, we thank you for this book of Revelation. We thank you for what we've seen over the course of these uh, term and a half. And we pray that as we come to the end and as we look at your final words to us, we ask that your spirit, as the one who authored these words, would awaken our hearts to them, help us to understand them, and would you change our hearts that we might see your son clearly and become like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is coming soon. The book of Revelation has given us a startling vision of Jesus Christ. The visions of this book have caught our eyes up to heaven. They have, if you like, peeled back the curtain on this world and allowed us to see into the spiritual realm. And what have we seen? What's been the focus? The focus has been Jesus. We've seen Jesus, the once crucified, but now risen and glorified King of the universe on heaven's throne the King of kings who has all power and all authority. We've seen Jesus, the warrior king, the king who, having defeated his enemies on the cross, will now destroy his enemies at the final day. We've seen that future day when Jesus will return and he will destroy sin and Satan and death and all those who oppose him. Then finally, Uh, Last week, we saw Jesus, the gracious king, who, having defeated his enemies, gathers his church to himself and establishes her in the eternal city. Now, as this book draws to a close, it is, if you like, that we, our eyes are brought back from heaven to earth and to the world into which his people still live. The way this last chapter is structured, you may have picked up, it reads slightly differently to the rest of the book of Revelation. It reminds us that actually this book is actually a letter. It's a letter from Jesus Christ, passed through his angels to the Apostle John, and then written out to a series of churches in what is now Turkey. And it was written in about AD 90, a real-life situation. And those churches at that time, they were in a really difficult environment, They were persecuted by the state and they were pressured into moral compromise by the culture. As well as that, they faced real spiritual opposition from Satan. And so they were tempted to give up. They were tempted to give in, give in to the world, just become like everyone else because it was just too hard to stay faithful to Jesus Of course, we feel like that too sometimes. And so this letter has had in its pages exactly what his struggling, suffering people need to hear. As the letter signs off, as Jesus the King speaks his final words to his churches, he says this, I am coming soon. Three times Jesus says this in these verses, verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. 
Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, Surely I am coming soon. But hang on a minute. If this was written in AD 90, then how can he be right? I did some maths. It's 1,930 years since Jesus said these words. Pretty sure that's... I always doubt when I do maths. I'm pretty sure that that's right. Can it really be said to be soon? Well, two things. First thing is this, that the people who lived in John's day, they too were asking that same question. When the Apostle Peter answers this question in his letter, he says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You see, the idea of soonness from the Lord's perspective, the Lord who's outside of time, for whom a thousand years is just a day, well, soonness may not be the same in his perspective as in our perspective. See, on his global uh, historical calendar, his great sovereign calendar, the day that he set for his return is soon. Maybe not to us, but it is to him. That's one way to explain what this means. But, but perhaps there's another way. The word translated soon has the sense of suddenness or quickness. Jesus' return is imminent, it's near. When it happens, it will be quick, like a thief in the night, like a flash of lightning. It could be a thousand years from now, or next year, or next week, or even tonight. But when it happens, it will happen quickly. The king will come to his people soon. And when he comes, all of history will be wrapped up. And that's really good news for his people, particularly his suffering, struggling people. All that is wrong will be put right. All that is broken will be mended. All that is suffering will be healed. All that is evil will be taken away. And from that point on, for eternity, the people of God will live forever in the glorious presence of their King. This is the final claim of the Bible. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen from death. He's ascended into heaven and there he reigns in the here and now but that all that is left on the great cosmic calendar of history is that Jesus is coming back. Now, if that's true, if that claim is true, then we must be ready for his coming. What do we need to know while we wait? What should we be doing until that last day? Well, this passage gives us three uh, things. Here's the first one. Trust Jesus' word and don't change it. Now, as Caroline read for us, 
You may have noticed there's a, there was a lot of repetition of one particular phrase or, or similar idea. There were lots of references to God's word, and particularly to this letter of Revelation in particular. It, it began and ended with it. First of all, the beginning. Each of the first five verses. Have a look at verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. These words are trustworthy and true. The words. In verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. In verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. That's the beginning. Do you see the words? The words of the prophecy of this book, this book, again and again. Now look at the ending, or towards the end, verse 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Quite striking, isn't it? In Jesus' final message to his church, look how much emphasis he places on God's word. The point is this. Jesus has spoken to his church through the book of Revelation, and there's much in this book that seems amazing and much that seems terrifying. And there are some hard commands for us to keep. And there are perhaps some things which are offensive to us. And so as we read, we're asking ourselves, can we trust what this says? Should we base our lives upon what it says? Should we keep it? Should we speak of this to others and risk ridicule or persecution for doing so? Now just for an example, there are parts of Revelation that we might be tempted to doubt. Like whether God really can defeat evil, as he says. Or whether we really are forgiven through Jesus' death. Or whether Jesus is really coming back. And so we need to know that Jesus' word is trustworthy and true. How do we know that? Well, we look to him, we know his character, we see that he does not lie, and we believe that it's been faithfully recorded for us by his servants, by people like John. So you notice John puts his mark to this letter. He's testifying to its truth. This is John the Apostle, John whom the churches know, they know really well, that John who has had a faithful uh, lifetime of ministry, we can trust it. That's what we're being told. And that's why we mustn't change it. Really strong warning in verse 18, and 20, 18 to 20, isn't it? Let me read it again. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Don't add to God's word the things that you wish were there but are not. So one of the things that we could want to add is this. We've been told throughout the book that the way to be saved is only by trusting in the blood of the Lamb, that is, in Jesus' death in our place for our sins. So we cannot say we are saved by faith in the blood of the Lamb and by our good works, as if we somehow contribute something to our salvation. That's gospel addition, such as you might find in the Catholic tradition or in the Mormon or Jehovah's Witness faiths. We mustn't do that. We mustn't add things in that we'd like to be there, but aren't. On the other hand, there's also a temptation towards gospel subtraction, such as you might find in the liberal churches across the world. Don't take out of this book things that you don't like. Removal of verse 15 in our passage, for example, or many of the other examples in Revelation of God's judgment in hell upon those who don't trust in Jesus. We'd much prefer those verses to not be there I imagine. But we mustn't rip them off the page. This is Jesus the King's word. And the warning is clear that those who delete these things will themselves be deleted from the kingdom of God. God's word is trustworthy. And we must not change it by addition or subtraction. But more than that, God's word must be kept. That brings us into our second our big theme. This is a theme that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation and it comes through again here. Keep serving Jesus faithfully under trial. And just think back over the course of uh, the whole thing. There are some really hard commands in Revelation the command to witness to the gospel in a world that is hostile to Jesus and his church. Or think about the command to keep ourselves pure from the world's corruption when everyone around us is compromised. As we await Jesus' coming, God's word must be kept faithfully. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Just consider verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. See, Jesus wants his people to keep serving him faithfully, to keep living out their faith by doing what's right, by doing what's pleasing to him. And he wants them to do all that he commands in the context of a world that will not change where the evildoer carries on in evil, where the filthy carry on being filthy. We've seen throughout it, this book, that, that those who obey God will be opposed by the world, and some will even be put to death for their witness to Jesus. 
What a comfort then it is to have verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. What comfort it is to know that there'll be a reward for those who keep trusting and serving Jesus faithfully to the end. And what comfort it is to know that the world that is opposed to him and to the church will be rightly judged. And if we're in any doubt as to whether the world can be judged fairly and rightly, well, look at who Jesus is. He's the Lord of all history. He's the one who's seen everything. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He knows everything that's happened. He can weigh everything in the scales and he can judge rightly. History's king is coming. And when he comes, he will judge the world. And there are two outcomes. Here's the encouragement and the warning. He comes to bring in his faithful people to eternal life in his kingdom. And he comes to permanently shut out those who do not know him and love him. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ now, what he says to you is this, persevere, endure faithfully till the end in purity and in holiness and you will be welcomed into his reward and what a reward it will be entry into the eternal golden garden city to enjoy its fruit all the struggle and all the hardship and all the rejection will be worth it but to those who have rejected him now You need to know that when he comes, there will be a repaying for you too. And it is a fearful thing to be shut out from all that is good and right and true and pure. And to be left outside in the darkness for all eternity. At the moment of Jesus' return, when he comes quickly... Those two destinations will be set in place. It will be too late to switch sides. And that's why we're warned now. This is a loving warning because he hasn't yet come. And therefore there is hope now. The Apostle Peter, who I quoted earlier on, he goes on and he says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, at Jesus' return, the destination of every human being will be set and unchangeable, but until he comes, there is a way to be saved from death and from an eternity outside his kingdom. This great letter draws 
to a close, Jesus offers an invitation. He offers a final plea to come to him now and receive the life he offers. This brings us to our final big theme. Come to Jesus and receive the life he offers. Look with me at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He speaks once more of himself and he tells us that he is the long-awaited king who is coming, the root and the descendant of David. And that he, the bright morning star, is rising. The night is almost over and a new dawn will rise upon the earth when the kingdom of God will be established. And in the knowledge of that, with that in view, the Spirit of God and the Church of Jesus Christ, the Bride, in the sight of this new dawn coming, when the King comes, they cry out to the world under judgment, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Come to him. Come to Jesus now before he comes to us. When John the Apostle wrote this book, told right at the beginning of Revelation, that he did so from an island called Patmos. Patmos was a bare and arid piece of uh, volcanic rock that just sort of jutted up out of the Aegean Sea, just off the coast of Turkey. And there he is. John is there and he's in exile. He's alone. And picture him there. He's sitting in the scorching sun day after day. In a dry and dusty place like that, John knows the importance of fresh water, just as actually any ancient person did in those lands. Fresh water is a scarce entity in a place like that. That's why no one lives there, really. To find a source was precious indeed. It was the difference between life and death. If you couldn't find any, well, first of all, there was thirst, and then there was dehydration, and then there was despair, and then death. And so imagine your joy when you see death coming that someone appears and says this, come to me, I have water to give you. Throughout the Bible, this has been a picture of the spiritual reality of humanity, that we are thirsty, that spiritually we are dry, and that we know at some level that that means that we are dying. And there's this longing in us for that thirst to be quenched. And Jesus says this, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is the final plea. This is the call of the Spirit It's the call of the church. It's the call of Jesus to every heart. Come to Jesus in repentance of your sin. Ask him for forgiveness and receive the free gift of his grace. 
come to Jesus and receive life. Spiritual, refreshing, satisfying, joyful life for a thirsty soul. Life that begins now and goes on into eternity. This is what Ella's done. And this is what you can do too. This is the end. It's the end of the book. It's the end of the Bible. What's it saying to us? That Jesus is coming soon. And he comes as king. And he comes as judge. And he comes as saviour to those who have come to him in faith. What must we do as we await his coming? Well, let's trust Jesus' word. Let's not change it. Let's keep serving Jesus faithfully under trial. And let's come to Jesus and receive the life that he offers. The final message of this book, the final note of the Bible, is a wonderful note. Don't miss it. The last couple of verses, it's a note of grace. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen.